Well, everybody, and uh, welcome. Welcome to the class. Welcome to the CMI School of Christ class. Uh, we appreciate you uh, tuning in tonight. Happy New Year to all of you who are who are um, tuning in. Hopefully 2021 will not be as crazy as 2020. Uh, hopefully, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, but anyway, Happy New Year to you guys. I want to get right into this again. We have began, uh, a, a, I don't know how long the series will be, but a short, I think, uh, look at and consideration of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, uh, in Matthew chapter five. So if you'll turn there to Matthew chapter five with me, um, we'll, we'll pick up where we left off in the last time together and i'm going to share my screen a little bit with you today it'll be a new experiment for me and try to show you a definition that i think helps us understand the true meaning of the true point that is being made in these um in this sermon as a whole, but in these particular, in this particular verse, we're going to look at today and that's Matthew chapter five, verse four. So let's go ahead and read that. <clears throat> Blessed are they that mourn or they shall be comforted. Now, as we did in our last time, when we consider the, the first verse of uh, the poor in spirit, they shall um, receive the kingdom, I think it says. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, that's it. When we talked about that, we, you know, I wanted to emphasize and make certain that we understood the context or I guess you could say the the circumstance surrounding these words that Jesus is speaking, the not the time frame, of course, but also the just how the scriptures themselves in the first part of Matthew, the end of uh, chapter four and the first part of Matthew five, how it sets up beautifully what's happening here. It, it shows us something taking place. In fact, you know, the whole imagery of him going into a high mountain to deliver these words is almost like them going into Sinai or Moses going into Sinai. Of course, they could not follow at that time, but the, the imagery is there. And again, we said that even commentaries would call this the new covenant Sinai showing that this is the moment in time where Jesus is ushering in, in these words and in his very person, his presence, an altogether new age, a new time. We're standing here in this setting in Matthew 5 at the precipice of one age being put away and one age being brought in the age of testimony, types, figures, promises, and prophets being ushered out in the coming in of the one Messiah, the messianic object, the, 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 the intention of God himself coming into their, into their sphere and realm of existence to usher in himself and bring in himself the fulfillment of every type, shadow, promise, and prophecy. And not only doing that in his person, but here in this setting, inviting those who are assembled and those beyond into this glorious reality that he was bringing in and that he would be unto thee. This is what we're seeing. This is not, again, instructive uh, instructions on how to live as a Christian because that has set people on a really bad course where all they see is their shortcomings, their failures. They try to, they try to 
imitate a particular characteristic that they think Jesus is, is presenting here. So they try to be poor in spirit, or they try to mourn, and they try to be meek and humble and whatever. All of the things that we have not just, we have put upon, we have read into, eisegeted, or read something in the text that is not there. We have read into these words instructions on our on, on a particular way to uh, live as Christians. It's not. It is the Messiah coming to the people who are awaiting him and offering to them all of the blessedness that they had waited on because the whole mindset of the Jewish people was when the Messiah comes, all the blessings come. When the Messiah comes, the, 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 the riches of God, the divine realities, the kingdom, the, the rule, the everything comes in his coming. And that's what he is offering to these people right now. So when we read things like blessed are they that mourn, these are not words that are instructive on, on a mannerism that we are to carry with us on a daily basis or characteristics that we should uh, exhibit to the world. These are things that basically are descriptive of a condition of a people, a condition of souls, a condition of, a, of an entire uh, creation that was awaiting the coming of their Messiah. And at this moment, in this setting, again, keeping in, the, in mind the context and the setting and the time frame and the audience, he is now at this moment presenting to them the blessedness that was promised and saying, if you are those who are in this condition, which he knew they were because he knew their condition as, as those under the law, as those who were awaiting their Messiah or the Messiah, he knew they were in this condition. These are not <clears throat> These are not words that would cause us to be introspective or to consider ourselves and say, hmm, am I, am I poor in spirit? Well, if I'm not, I better be. Jesus says I better be, or I won't be blessed or won't receive the kingdom of heaven or, uh, I better, I better mourn. So we act, you know, real, real, whatever, mournful and repentant. Uh, Julie Ray would be glad to know that I do drink water instead of just coffee all the time. She worries about my coffee addiction, but these are, these are the things we have to keep in mind and understand when we read these verses or else we will continually misappropriate, misapply, misteach, misunderstand these things and think that they are instructive for us as Christians on how to conduct ourselves. He is talking to those who are actually in a state of mourning, who are poor in spirit. And we've already said, you may, you know, consider yourself and assess yourself and say, well, am, am I poor in spirit? Guess what? There's no question you are, because it means to be uh, in, in total bankruptcy internally when it comes to things of the spirit. You are poor in spirit, which demands a divine intervention called Christ in you, called new birth, called the kingdom of God coming into you. There's the only help, the only, the only blessedness that he is offering to them. They that mourn is, is a direct reference to those who are in Zion at that time, the Jew waiting for something of substance to come and free them from the internal bondage of sin and death, thus freeing them from the testimonial typifications of the law and bring them to the actual substance of the matter that was always promised by that system, but could never be a provision of that system can never provide the life, that system, that, that religion or uh, that age 
actually promised, but he comes to bring it about to those that mourn. And we'll talk about the mourning and the, the nature of it and the comfort that is, that is uh, promised here. Let me read uh, a commentary. This is from Jameson Fawcett and Brown. Blessed are they that mourn, they shall be comforted. The mourning must not be taken loosely for the feeling which is wrung from men under pressure of the ills of life. Again, this is not mourning and, you know, uh, having bad times and being under stress and pressures of life. Um, nor is it strictly for the sorrow on the count of sins committed. Evidently, it is the entire feeling which the sense of our spiritual poverty begets. So that refers us back to the previous uh, quote-unquote beatitude, the, the previous verse, because here it says the second beatitude is but a complement of the first. It is the internal poverty. What do we say? We bring nothing to the table. We are internally bankrupt as to spiritual matters. We are totally out of our depth in spiritual things. We are, we are empty and, and, and impoverished. Our soul is. And we must have someone to bring into our soul what that soul cannot and does not possess in itself. And it is that poverty that says, I am undone. But you have to understand this in the light of an entire creation. Remember, we've been looking in, in the, at the, on the podcast, the Satisfy God podcast. We've been looking there, and uh, you can find that podcast everywhere. We've been looking on the Satisfy God podcast in Romans 8. And there's a place where this reality is actually also uh, spoken of. And it's done so in reference to uh, an entire creation being brought under subjection to its own vanity, its own emptiness, or you could say poverty, its own poverty of spirit or spiritual impoverishment. That whole creation, which we, again, yes, Jew and Gentile, but there specifically it's speaking uh, primarily of the Jew first and the Jews as a, as, a, as, an, as a nation, as a people, used of God as a testimonial agent, but being the ones to whom the promises were given and all of these things were unto them first because the Messiah was there first as far as promise. Um, let me get this phone. I'm sorry. <clears throat> but the, the whole matter here is that he is addressing that creation that God subjected to vanity in a hope. And here's the man sitting before this, this assembled crowd on the New Testament Sinai saying the hope for which he subjected this creation, that's me. And I am bringing in the hope for reality, the blessedness promised. And so that's what we're talking about. It is an entire, you can't look at it as individuals and, and point out particular individuals that may be poor in spirit or in mourning. He's addressing a, an entire, he's addressing the big picture as far as God's perspective of the matter and showing that there was a creation, an age of testimony that, that subjected an entire people creation under the law until faith himself came until the substance that all of those things could not bring about came and here's the substance talking to them and promising them if they would come to him basically that's what he's saying to them come unto me it's the same thing he says later in you come to me all that you all of you who are laboring heavy laden loaded down with the burdens of a, 
of a system that promises reality but could never provide it, but the reality that it promised, I am. Come to me. I will give the rest to your soul. And it is the rest, the comfort, the, the blessedness that he is offering to them right now. So this is the same thing here being said, just in a different way, but in a context that he is unfolding to them the blessedness of the new covenant uh, in juxtaposition or over against the, uh, the condition of those under the law, under the age of testimony, which was poor in spirit, mourning, and we'll go on from there. So <clears throat> this is a beautiful thing. This is him providing the kingdom to these people, to promising, inviting them to partake of the blessed hope, of the blessed condition and uh, uh, state of being that is only provided, only possible in him, the Messiah. This is what we're seeing. So those that were mourning in Zion were those who understood that they were spiritually bankrupt, that nothing of the substance promised had actually been theirs yet it hadn't come that everything they do is incapable of actually bringing them to it they have longed for this reality but this reality out of their reach so they mourn for comfort they mourn as those who have nothing but desire all that God had promised. They're in a state of loss. Now, in Proverbs 29, verse 2, there's a there's this is said in a way that we're going to look at. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Now I know. In this election period, this time where, you know, the guy that we may have wanted didn't win. Um, and some people would even object to that statement. Um, with all of the questions that are about it, this is not about politics. This is not about the United States Electoral College. The righteous and authority, the people rejoice. There's joy, there's happiness. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. There is a mourning that is due to the rule of wickedness. What have we talked about in Romans 7? A man that was attempting to do his best to bring about what God desired in the scripture under the law, but yet there was a wickedness, an evil, a corruptibility that ruled him from within. And there was a mourning within and anguish why i didn't do everything perfectly no the anguish was i did everything perfectly and i still have not attained but see the comfort to those who are mourning in zion we're going to talk about that here in isaiah the comfort of those who are mourning in Zion is not the fact that they have finally reached their goal and achieved righteousness through their works. The true comfort is he has bestowed something by his grace to us that we could never have achieved. That our anguish has been overcome by his gift of love and grace and mercy that is bestowed unto us. And we're going to see that in a moment that has fixed in, in our soul set in our soul, a reality that the soul was created for and God intended for that soul to possess such a reality, but it's possessed by faith and not by works. There was an entire creation in such a state of torment and anguish and hurt and loss and mourning. 
And here is their Messiah coming, the law of life himself standing upon the new covenant Zion saying, come to me and you shall be blessed with every spiritual blessing promise. If you come to me as those who are mourning and at loss, I will comfort you. I will give you what you have desired and could not achieve. If you come to me knowing that internally you are bankrupt and without anything at all and bring nothing to the table because you are incapable in yourself, I will give unto you the kingdom of heaven. It is a provision. It is not payment for, for work rendered or labor exerted. It is a gift. It is a gift. And this man is the same one and he does this in, in the gospel, of course, when he goes into the temple and reads out of Isaiah and then sits in the chair that many commentaries say that this was the chair that was intended for the Messiah to sit in when he came and he sat there saying this day, this word, this, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. He, he quotes out of Isaiah. I'm going to read Isaiah chapter 61 verse uh, 1 through verse 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the good times unto the meek. You'll, the meek is another thing here uh, spoken of in the Beatitudes. To the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. He's talking specifically to a group of people awaiting this one who would come and bring these good tidings. The opening of the prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord of the year of Jubilee and the day of vengeance of our God, the time of judgment to comfort. Listen to this, all that mourn. Same words he's presenting here in Matthew 5. Why? Because he wants to, he wants them to, in their Jewish mind, to go back to this prophecy and understand what's happening, what he's actually offering, who he actually is. To comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord that he might be glorified and they shall build the old wastes they shall raise up the former desolations they shall repair the waste cities the desolations of many generations so if you place this prophecy and the place it, it uh and you place it directly beside the sermon on the mount here given by this one who is the fulfillment of this prophecy you will see that the blessings that are presented are actually the blessings the, the, the glorious benefits bestowed through the coming of or the receiving of, or you say the coming of and the receiving of the Messiah himself. That's what he's offering to them, the messianic blessings of the kingdom. He's bringing in something that was promised of God. He's ushering this in here. I have to keep this in mind. And I want you to look here and try to do this. The word appoint, because he says here, I will appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beauty for ashes. The word appoint here is very important. Let me share, get here where I can share my screen. Um, I could pull this up. Let's see. Hmm. 
that is sure. Well, it says I'm sharing it anyway. You can see here where I'm highlighting it. This is in my Bible uh, study program. The word here, 7760, this is the word to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to appoint. And it is to put, to place, to set, to appoint, or to make. You go here and you just read on. It's to put, to set, to lay, to lay upon, to set, to direct, toward, to extend, to ordain, to establish, to found, to appoint, constitute, to fix and determine, to station, to set in place, to plant, to fix, to transform into, to constitute, to fashion, to bring to pass, to appoint, and to give. That's the meaning of this word, to appoint. That's beautiful to appoint unto them that mourn. He's going to set something in there in order. He's going to fix something and settle it, establish it and bestow something to them in his coming. That's beautiful to me. That's what he's offering to them in Matthew five, just the fulfillment and the realization of the promise made here in Isaiah 61, and he's offering it to them that are mourning. He's bringing back to their mind the promises of God, the prophetic utterances of God that could only be realized in the Messiah's coming, but he's showing them, here's your condition. This is who you are. You are those in mourning because you have, you have, you, you, you are, you're without the, there's desolation and the ruins and there's nothing here. Your heart is not at peace. Your heart is not satisfied. There is nothing that you possess satisfactory. You were in a state of mourning, waiting, waiting on, right? We're going to see that in a minute. Waiting on the man that was promised. Isaiah 61, this is another commentary. Uh, this is the Kiel and Delich commentary of the Old Testament. He goes on here and talks about the mourners of Zion, those who take to heart the true fall of Zion. And what do they understand? These are the ones that understood that no matter how many times you can rebuild a temple, no matter how many times you can rebuild a building, the true Zion, missing and that zion can only be restored in the coming of this man who is now speaking to them and that's what he's addressing that's what he is offering to them um <clears throat> the, here's the comfort the mourners of zion he bring because what he brings is not merely a diadem to which the word soon or to set would apply it uh means a diadem, a headdress, but an abundant supply of all manifold gifts. What is he talking about? Just gifts of the spirit? No. All the blessed gifts that the Messiah and the messianic age would usher in. That's what is being addressed here. Not just, not just particular things that we have imagined. We're talking about a promised Messiah who the people understood would usher in every blessed every blessed reality promised of God. Everything that they were anticipating, everything God intended would come in this man. And that's what he's telling them. He's bringing to them an abundant supply of every manifold gift. He is giving them a gift, setting something and establishing something, appointing something, constituting and bringing to pass something in their midst if they would come unto him. And their mourning would be overtaken by the joy and gladness of the kingdom itself. So, 
instead of the ashes of mourning or of repentance that laid upon their head because they always fell short, they were always in a state of, 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 of reproach, condemnation. He brings a diadem to adorn the head and the oil of joy. Beautiful. The gifts of God, though represented in outward figures here, are really spiritual and they take effect within us. This is what he's promising them. Not outward gifts, but a internal kingdom. This was the issue that they had with him when he came because he was saying, this isn't the What you're looking for is a kingdom that's going to overtake governments of the earth. I'm telling you, my kingdom's not of this world. It's not outward. It is inward. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And it takes effect within here, rejuvenating, sanctifying the internal parts of man. They are the sap and strength, the moral impulse of the new life. This is the gifts that he is promising to those who are mourning because they're mourning the actual absence of these gifts, these blessed spiritual realities. They have nothing. They have nothing. All they have is condemnation because they have nothing of this life. And he's offering it to them. You see how much more sense this makes than just telling a bunch of Christians, if you're having bad days, he'll comfort you. You're still blessed. No, no. He's talking to those who are actually in a state of mourning, actually in a state of great anxiety because they understood that what God promised had not yet come. And they were in a state desiring his coming. And he's like, here I am. Come to me, receive me. You will receive the blessedness promised of God. You will receive the comfort that God promised you in the Messiah. He has come to comfort those that are mourning. Now, I want to look at this beauty for the word beauty here is the word Pierre, uh, Pierre. It means an ornamental headdress, or some would say a tiara, worn in times of joy instead of the headdress of ashes that they would put upon their head in times of mourning. He's showing them this, this, the distinction here. The image, this is from Jameson Fawcett and Brown. Um, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the image is from bright colored garments indicative of thankfulness, which were worn by the joyful instead of those that indicate despondency, such as ash, uh, sackcloth. But if we would go down in Isaiah chapter 61, go to verse 10 now, and you'll see something about this beauty and the clothing of beauty and the garment and the headdress. Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, I greatly rejoice in Jehovah. Joy doth my soul, uh, joy doth my soul in my God. This is Young's literal translation. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, with a robe of righteousness covereth me as a bridegroom prepared or, uh, prepareth ornaments and as a bride putteth on her jewels. And I want that to sink in. This Messiah in Matthew 5, and here in the same context in the Messianic prophecy of Isaiah 61, verse 10 says this. He's inviting them to the age in which the bride and the bridegroom are to be joined together. It's very fitting because that's basically what the whole, the whole surroundings of John we've talked about this um, in previous classes. The whole ministry of John come to a conclusion when he recognized that the joining of the bride and the bridegroom is happening. That he had introduced the bride to her groom and he was now rejoicing to hear the voice of the bridegroom so that he could back away and let the bridegroom and the bride finally consummate their union. 
So he says, I must decrease. He must increase. I must decrease. That's the, that's what's being said in that, in that phraseology. It's not about us as we have made it. It's about him understanding the end of his ministry was the joining of the bride and the bridegroom. He was the best man, if you will, or the friend of the groom, which the whole job of the friend of the groom was to introduce and to join the hands of them. And once that happens, he backs off and has no more role because now they're joined. His, his part in the whole thing is now um, complete. So he can say, I'm, I'm done. He has to increase his coming, his taking his bride, his bringing is coming to take his bride to himself is my exit because he came as a, as a means to introduce the one to the other. That was it. The introduction made his ministry's over. So now Jesus here is introducing this age, this kingdom in which the bride and the bridegroom are to be joined forever. He he's, he's presenting to them the reality in which they could be clothed upon with this salvation and, and in Isaiah, this being given a garment of salvation, uh, a robe of righteousness, there's the word here, um, for the bride putteth on her jewels. And, and it's interesting that it's the bride putting on her jewels. This has to do with this, uh, picture of the diadem of the headdress that this is the time in which she puts this on when her and her groom are, are finally joined. That's how this comparison is made. This, this clothing upon with the garment of salvation, this being co covered with the robe of righteousness, Christ made unto us righteousness. That's what this is talking about is the equivalent of this joining of the bridegroom and the bride. And at that moment of joyfulness and celebration, the bride has upon her head that diadem, that jewel. But here's the thing. This picture also goes back to the very high priest. Here, and it's the idea of being clothed with beauty. This is the word 8597 in the Strong's, if you want to look it up. It's um, the turban was not limited to uh, a certain sex or worn on just one occasion. It could be worn by women or by men, but here it also is worn by the high priest or the priest and was made of linen. It's the same idea as the high priest wearing that headdress or the diadem upon his head, holy unto God. It was worn by the bridegroom, perhaps here with the translation wreath or garland for ashes in Isaiah 61, 3. <clears throat> it is the Messiah saying, I have come to garb you in the beauty of my salvation. I've come to put you and join you to the head upon who upon whom the diadem of the kingdom of God is set. This is the reality of those who mourn shall be comforted. He's ushering, he, he's, he's fulfilling the messianic prophecy that says, I will comfort those who are mourning in Zion. Those who are mourning in Zion, I will give them beauty, the diadem for ashes. I will give them the glories of the kingdom instead of the sacrifices and offerings of all. You could look at it that way. I will give them the glorious beauty of, of finally hitting the mark, finally coming to the goal instead of always in sackcloth and ashes, mourning the fact that they have not reached the goal yet and yet and, and still fall short of the glory of God. That's what he's offering. This comfort is the great salvation that we now have. And that's the truth. 
Let's not take this beyond this moment in time and see it as still prescriptive of a need that we have. No, this is him saying, if you come to me, I will give to you the comfort of the messianic kingdom, which is you shall never mourn again. You will have the blessedness, the happiness of a fixed state that I have bestowed by grace in my kingdom. That's, that's the reality of it. And that is the reality that we now presently have in Christ Jesus. There's not some promise yet to be for us. If we mourn properly, then we'll have that comfort given to us. No, if you are born again, this is the comfort you now have. That's what I want you to see. So to further extend that and perpetuate this as an ongoing promise to yet be fulfilled is dangerous, foolish. And it is the root of so many people giving up. No, don't give up. Understand that when you're born again, you receive the great comfort. Why? Because you receive the comforter who ushers in to the soul the blessedness here promised. So what is this comfort that is being promised here? What is this great comfort that is being promised. The word here, comfort, means to invite. To invite. Into the bosom, basically. To invite into the bosom of. <laughs> In Luke chapter 2, we see this same thing being talked about, the comforting that the, mess, that the Messiah here in Matthew chapter 5 is offering to those who are mourning in Zion, the Zion to whom he came to not only confirm the covenant, but to be the covenant unto them if they would just receive him. That was the only... The only uh, Condition, come unto me. So what is this comforting? Well, we see it in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Lo, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name is Simeon. This man is righteous and devout. This, again, is Young's literal, so to have the present tense. This man is righteous and devout, looking for what? The comforting of Israel. Some translations will say the consolation of Israel. Same thing, the comforting and the consolation of Israel, same thing. <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it has been divinely told him by the Holy Spirit <coughs> that he would not see death before he would see the Christ or the Messiah of the Lord. And he came in the Spirit to the temple, and then the and the parents bringing the child of Jesus, or the bringing in the child Jesus. For their doing according to the custom of the law regarding him, he took him in his arms and blessed God and said, Now you do send away your, your servant. King James, now your servant can depart in peace. That's a beautiful way to say it. Now you can send away your servant. Lord, according to your word, because mine eyes did see your salvation. <coughs> Excuse me. You have some <coughs> allergies here. Mine eyes did see your salvation. Which thou didst prepare before the face of all the people. Look at the look at what's being said here. What was he waiting for? What does it say this man, this devout, righteous man, was actually looking for? He was looking for, waiting on, as a devout Jew, the comforting or the consolation or comforting of Israel. When he sees Jesus, 
what does he say is the fulfillment of this expectation? I have seen your salvation. So in this, in these verses, we see that the comforting of Israel is actually the salvation of the Lord. It is salvation. It is being born of God. It is the salvation from our sins. It is salvation from death. It is to be delivered out of the bondage of corruption, which happens at new birth. This is what he's saying. The salvation I have now seen and the comforting of Israel has come in this one. You know that Anna the pro sees, the, sees him and goes out and declares him to those who long for redemption in Israel or in Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. Now, Hebrews 6, again, beautiful, talking about having come from the first to the second, from the types to the reality, from the principles to the person, and all of these things, what they wanted, what they desired, what God had promised, he has not left unfulfilled. He has done it in his, in, through himself because there's no, no one else could do it. He has accomplished it. So he goes on that through two immutable things here in verse 18 of Hebrews 6, in which it is impossible for God to lie, a strong comfort we have who have who did flee for refuge to lay hold on the hope before us look at this who has the strong comfort who has been comforted who has who are the recipients of this great comfort those who have flee who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the those who have fled out of the first into the second, fled from the testimony to the perfect life of which it spoke. That's the, that's the refuge. They've laid hold in that man who is their refuge. He is the refuge, says it many times in the Old Testament. They have escaped the first internally and externally, but through the salvation or the comforting of God that they now have, they have it because they have come to Christ and thus escaped the first, re the, the first and been brought into the second, laid hold in the second man of the hope that was set before them. The expectation of God has been laid hold of in this man. because this man was the great comfort promised and is now the strong comfort we have. And he goes on to further define this one, which we have as an anchor of the soul, sure, steadfast, that enters into that within the veil, the forerunner, Jesus, the chief and high priest having become. This is such a beautiful picture of who he is not only who he is but what he is actually coming to bring to those who will bring their soul to him who will come and receive him as their messiah as their promised one as the anointed promised of god because in that one they would have great comfort having in such an act of repentance, as such an act of receiving him, they now flee from that age, that condition, that state that has them in mourning and a state of poor in spirit, and they now in the Messiah himself receive the comfort of a great salvation, the salvation of the Lord himself comfort of those who mourn due to the destruction and the unattainment of all the promises of God, the righteousness that was unattained, the comfort is through, is received through the receiving of the Messiah. 
and in that the messianic consummation of the age and in him all the promises all the prophecies all of the realities yes and amen where there would be no mourning now but joy thankfulness gratefulness as those who have received in him all the blessed realities that were promised all the glories of the kingdom all of the riches of the grace of god that is now appointed or bestowed or established granted all of the words we looked at moments ago this is what we're seeing here again not instructions on how christians ought to live because that that's foolish it's not what this is about this is about the declaration of i am the messiah and i am bringing in in my coming now present in your midst all of the things that god said to you would come in the messiah because that's who i am you understand that's who i am so <clears throat> i'm hearing some rain i think there's sleet and snow and a winter storm coming um tonight and tomorrow so uh i'll be hunkered down here so i'm glad i was able to come out in the building and heat it up uh, enough to the point where I could do this class with you. I'm so glad you're out there and listening. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in on these and, um, comment please, or send, send an email ravenbird at gmail.com. That's R A B O N B Y R D at gmail.com. And, uh, I'll be glad to correspond, answer questions. Um, I'm answering questions and that's, you know, I, take some time to look at things when people ask me questions so it could get uh, be lengthy before i get back with you because i don't just give a one one sentence answer most of the time but if you do want to um correspond or ask questions or even make comment just send that uh to the email that i just mentioned again thanks for listening guys appreciate it so much amen